0: What a joy to be able to worship together. Uh, I love this time of the year, and it's sort of fun to be here in the sanctuary, looking at the decorations that you, some of you helped put up uh, as we did our Hanging of the Green service last week. That was really fun. Uh, first time I think we've had a sheep in here. We have a little sheep uh, doo-doo, but it was all good, man. Uh, it was so awesome just to be able to celebrate uh, Christmas with you, and um, so we're in that season. And uh, what we are doing uh, in that season is we're really treating this as Advent, a season of preparation. So how's your heart doing? And we're not talking so much about wise men and shepherds and all of the Christmas stories. We will get to that uh, in the various services that we do. But really, I wanna just go after the how's your, how's your heart and how's your heart preparation? And then specifically today, uh, as we were talking last week about being repentance-ready people, you know, what does it mean to be revival-ready people? Uh, how's your heart doing in that? How's your heart in terms of being a harvest-ready people? How's your heart in being a return-ready people? Uh, that's the kind of heart preparation that we're talking about over these weeks. And so if you're joining us here, you're guest with us, we're delighted that you're here. We are going to be doing communion today. That's something that we do once a month, and it's a celebration of remembrance We remember the finished work of Christ. We remember his broken body. We remember his shed blood. And we do that by taking the elements together. And so if you're a believer in Christ today, it doesn't matter what your church background is. You don't have to be a member here or anything. We would love for you to celebrate communion with us. And uh, we're gonna do that at the end of the service. Some of you picked up some elements when you came in, that's fine. Uh, You don't need to get up right now because we're actually gonna give you some time in the worship uh, at the end where you can actually move to the tables and and take the, the bread and the cup together. And one of the things that we always encourage people to remember is that the reason we say this is for anyone who is a believer in Christ, you may not have come to that point yet where you've made a commitment of your life to Jesus Christ. And uh, so the scriptural encouragement is this Don't take communion today That's not a prohibition It's actually an invitation Because what we're doing is we're saying We want to invite you to consider the work of Christ don't, don't acknowledge a sacrifice that you have not yet received But instead receive it And then come and celebrate with us at the communion table So that's why we say that If you're a believer in Christ today Maybe that's the day that God wants to breathe some life in you uh, That would be awesome uh, we'd celebrate that with you as well. For all of us, uh, I suspect that there are some areas of our lives in which we're asking for God to revive us. Um, when you look at this list that we started last week re- repentance ready church, revival ready, harvest ready, return ready uh, I note that we don't control the way that God works in most of these areas. I mean, we don't control God at all, but really a lot of these things, the revival, reviving work of God, the harvest that he wants to do, his return, we don't really get a say in those matters. And yet, we want to be ready for the work that God has. Meaning that we are anticipating and we are expecting that God desires to work. We're making room for him as we pray and as we invite and as we welcome and receive and as we respond uh, to his presence. So with that in mind, I'd like to just begin with a, with a story. I was kind of scrolling back to when God was getting a hold of my life in the, in the mid-90s. Uh, I went through a period of time that was kind of a spiritual renaissance for me, where for the first time really in my life up to that point, I began to realize that the things that I understood to be true of Christ actually had deep personal meaning for me. And so I entered into this time where I was like, whoa, like these things are are actually real. Like the Holy Spirit of God actually wants my heart, wants my attention, wants to lead me, actually has a plan for my life. So I kind of call this time my spiritual renaissance. I was about 19 years old. Well, a couple years before that, in a couple towns away from me, there was a young man by the name of Matt. I didn't know him, I had never met him. He went to a different school. He was a year older than me. And before God was doing this work in my life, Matt was experiencing an encounter with God that set his heart on fire and then impacted a whole lot of lives, including my own. So it's kind of interesting how God has a way of working that. So I just want to tell you a little bit of his story. Matt was a rich kid, uh, smart, uh, good looking, I mean, had everything kind of going for him in life. And so he's going through life, kind of living this semi-charmed kind of life. And uh, that's a 90s reference. Now that I think about it. Uh, Anyway, he's, he's living this charmed life. And uh, and yet, he, he began to feel that kind of tugging that many of us have experienced. You know what I'm talking about. It's like something was missing in his life. And yet, he was, a, he was a young man with almost no spiritual influence at all. He didn't have a church he was a part of. He didn't have a youth group he was a part of, anything like that. He's probably a sophomore or junior in high school at this time. And he starts to kind of wrestle with this longing in his life. And this is how his testimony, years later I would meet him and I asked him about his testimony, how he came to faith in Christ. And he said it was kind of weird because what happened was in the midst of this season of kind of longing and not knowing and being uncertain, uh, but feeling like something was missing, he said I was reminded of going to visit a church with my grandmother when I was a kid. Now, as a sidebar, Many of you are investing in kids and grandkids and great-grandkids or whatever, and I hope that gives you a little bit of encouragement, that sometimes you don't know the way that the seeds that are planted, when and how they're gonna come to life. But here's this kid living this life, he's kind of not walking with the Lord at all, but he's, something prompts in his mind this memory of having found something when he was a little kid and visiting his grandmother's church. One thing led to another, he starts looking into the Bible, the truth claims of Christ who he is, and, and this guy, Uh, He got radically saved. I mean, God got a hold of him, and he got a hold of God, and it was a life-changing kind of situation. Now, here's a guy. He doesn't really have a church family. His parents are not believers or anything like that. And so he says, well, I I found this faith in Christ. This has become real to me. And so he shares it with his friend and leads his friend to Christ. His friend and he are are so passionate and excited about what God is doing and stirring in this kind of newfound faith that they have that they say, you know, this other friend, we got to get together with him, and we should talk to him about Jesus. And so they had him come over. That guy wanted nothing to do with Jesus, but the guy that gave him a ride overheard the whole thing, and he got saved. So stuff like that was just happening. Uh, They led a a fourth friend of theirs to, to faith. So it starts with Matt, and Matt leads... Uh, jason to christ and jason leads jeff to christ and matt and jason and jeff lead doug to christ and now we've got these four amigos that they don't have any real reason to love jesus but they do because god's gotten a hold of them well it gets even a little more interesting see matt's father comes to faith in christ out of a very wayward sort of life and he begins to open up his home to a Bible study for young people. And that Bible study grows so that by the time I wandered in at the age of 19, uh, by the time I got there, I signed a little guest book. I was like the 650th person to have come to this Bible study. I mean, just a huge gathering of people. Now, it wasn't just the gathering, but it was the fact that In this, there was also sending and praying and and just new awakening and God actually adding to people's numbers those who were being saved. It was like something out of Acts, sometimes even daily. That was in my lifetime. It was a move of God that made an impact on my life. It causes me to ask the question, what happens when God gets a hold of even one heart? Awakens and revives something. What do you call that? I don't know if you've experienced anything like that or heard of things like that, stories where God seems to be on the move, but what do you call that? Today and next week, what we want to do is we want to sort of define what I think that is. We want to talk about revival, which is when God visits the church, and I want to talk about awakening, when God visits a lost world. Now, visits is far too passive Uh, of a word to use, but just indulge me with that. I'm talking about when God actually shows up and God begins to call a church out of being lukewarm and out of being passive and out of being sort of nonchalant and actually lighting some things on fire. And I think that's part of what he wants to do. But revival happens when God visits the church. And the world is changed through a revived church. I mean, we all know this, that a a lukewarm church uh, has never changed the world, never will change the world. We run from lukewarm. Jesus spits lukewarm out of his mouth. So he's not, we talked about that last week. Uh, He's not in favor of lukewarm church either, but none of us say, I wanna be part of a lukewarm church. In fact, I'll just prove it to you right now. How many of you just raise a hand if you say, I wanna be part of, of a revived church. I wanna be part of that. Raise a hand, be bold. I know, some of you are like, well, I guess. I mean, we all want revived. We all want real. We all want authentic and if we're here with any kind of authenticity, we're, we're looking for a move of God. I want to say, obviously, you know, there's different seasons for things. There's times that we're praying, and there's some of you that have prayed for things that you haven't seen that move of God yet. Maybe it's been 10 years. Maybe it's been 20 years. Maybe it's been 30 years. That's part of the deal as well. Not every season is a season of revival, but revival happens when God visits the church. Now, interestingly, with this story with this young man, That was probably more of an awakening because this is somebody who was far from Christ and had no reason to be, but God got a hold of his life. The interesting thing is, sometimes revival awakens the world and sometimes awakening revives the church, but both are the work of God. We're gonna talk about the awakening part when we talk about being harvest ready next week. This week, I wanna talk about what does it mean for us Uh, to be revival ready so with that in mind Psalm 85 this is the scripture I want to read with you to start we're going to look at several scriptures today but let me just kind of focus this in on this one Uh, Psalm 85 1-7 you Lord showed favor to your land you restored the fortunes of Jacob you forgave the iniquity of your people that's the ancient Israelites and covered all their sins that's an interesting statement coming from an old covenant passage right He's covered all their sins And you set aside all your wrath And you turn from your fierce anger And then look at verse 4 Restore us again God our Savior Some of you your hearts even today You're like man that's, that's me that's, that, that's my prayer uh, That's my psalm right there Restore us again And put away your displeasure toward us Will you be angry with us forever Will you prolong your anger through all generations Look at verse 6 Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, Lord, and grant us your salvation. Uh, Today, as we kind of think about that idea, revive us again that your people would rejoice in you. That is our prayer for you in this season. That as God does work in your heart, that you will find, there's actually an interesting sequence because last week we talked about being repentance ready. The beauty of repentance is repentance and humility open up the door to everything of significance that God wants to do in your life. And that is the one thing that he says, I'm giving you the opportunity. I'm standing at the door and and knocking. I'm not knocking the door down, but I'm waiting for you. Will you open up the door in humility and will you invite me in? And so we talked about that last week about being repentance ready uh, in our walk with the Lord. So today, what does it mean to be revival ready? Uh, let, me, let me give just a, a very simple definition, though I could probably give a much more uh, intricate one. You don't need one. A very simple definition of revival is to bring something back to life. Um, I mean, I heard about this. Like a lady was skiing. I read about this last year. Lady was skiing. She's going down the slope. She has this accident. She goes off the course and into a frozen stream and gets stuck under the ice for like 45 minutes. So she's gone. I mean, it's like you're 45 minutes, you can't hold your breath or whatever. And so they they pull her out and they take her to you know do with whatever you do and realize she's not dead. Like something about the coldness of the water or whatever kind of threw her into this stasis and it was just sort of shut her whole body down. And they take her to the hospital and they actually were able to warm her up and resuscitate her. And she's back to life. She was a medical doctor herself and continued to, Do medical stuff now people have almost no explanation for that I mean it's it's such a rare kind of thing but can you imagine being in the process as a family member or somebody that cares about this person you think she's gone you think she's dead you're thinking funeral arrangements only to find out she's back to life I can't imagine what that must have been like but that's what I'm talking about is this idea of revival is bringing back to life that which is thought to have been dead now, I want to give some props to a, very, uh, a guy I respect very highly by the name of Bill Heyer. Uh, he's a teacher, and he's, uh, he just does some great teaching. And, and one of the, I got to sit under his teaching on revival. And uh, he gave this example that I'm pirating from him, and, and, and some, some of his thoughts have uh, made their way into this message here today. But little props to Bill Heyer for that. But he gave this example, which I thought was so perfect, because I love the movie A Princess Bride. How many of you know that movie, right? I mean, that, how many of you don't know that movie? Come on, you gotta, we'll, we're gonna take you out if you don't know that movie. You, you really need to. Uh, so quotable. I mean, how many of you can quote at least one line from that movie, right? Most of us can. So, you know, things like inconceivable, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. It's just so great, so great. So he used this example of Miracle Max. And you remember Wesley, he's gone through the pit of despair and he's dead. And so they take him to Miracle Max to see if they can bring him back to life. And Miracle Max says, how many of you can quote it, he's not dead. He's, he's only mostly dead, which means he's a little bit alive, right? And I wonder if that example is not just a perfect, like, verbal picture of what we're talking about when we talk about a church in need of revival, Uh, Many of us have said We we flee the church Because it's all dead there Nothing good happening And it's life draining And all that kind of stuff Because nobody wants a dead church Everybody wants a church That is revived and alive Uh, And yet so we've recoiled From a dead church And we said There's nothing of value here And yet God By his Holy Spirit Would say Ah, It's only mostly dead (laughs) That's the good news It's only mostly dead And it's only ever Mostly dead Because one of the things that you're gonna see here is that God, the same Jesus who stands at the door and knocks at the door of the lukewarm church, is very interested in breathing life back in even to a mostly dead church. And so if that's been your experience, it's not a hopeless uh, situation. So uh, bringing back to life, um, this is what we see when we look at accounts of historic revivals we see that revival is the sovereign work of God it's not under your control you can pray for it you can get your heart ready for it but God shows up when and how he wants to show up which is why even in his first advent Jesus shows up and a lot of people missed it they didn't know what to be looking for necessarily why because it's God's agenda just the sovereign work of God but let me give you just a couple things again just to orient us around this definition of revival in the bringing back to life so first of all we see this revival comes uh, in answer to prayer Uh, again a great old covenant promise uh, second chronicles 714 is if my people who are called by my name humble themselves that's why we said humility is the doorway in Uh, will pray and seek my face turn from their wicked ways that's being repentance ready I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. So there's a connection of revival to prayer, always. Always, 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 always. Uh, Before this message is over, I want to give you some encouragement of why you can pray with confidence for revival, but we'll get there. Uh, So it's connected to prayer. Second, revival comes to the truth of the word of God. Uh, Jesus actually says this in John 17. He says, Now they have come to know that everything which you have given me is from you, like the visit of God and the revival of God's people, the message of Christ and the words of Scripture, these were all kind of interlocked one and the same. This is God speaking to his church. So there's this revelation through the word of God, which is also what kind of keeps us safe uh, and safeguards us from doing goofy things in the name of, well, God probably told me this or that or the other thing, so we keep anchored in his word. Uh, Revival brings conviction of sin, uh, John sixteen eight says he, uh, when he comes, will convict the world regarding sin and righteousness and judgment. So we see that uh, frequently, uh, even last week, you know, the response of, of many people to find the joy of repentance and the joy of a realigned heart with the Savior. It's actually a win, but that's, that's repentance and revival is a huge, huge part of that as well and vice versa. Uh, ultimately, uh, revival is the sovereign work of God. Uh, so that, you know, when Jesus says this to Peter, he says, I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. I'm gonna build the church, so we, we need to remember that in this praying for revival, being revival ready. It is always Christ who initiates a faith. He's the author and perfecter. He's the one who's gone before. He's the head of the church and he's the one who calls us in to be a part of it. So this is a sovereign work of God. So revival is when God visits or revives the church. Awakening is when God awakens a lost world and we see the way that those things go oftentimes hand in hand. Okay, Um, I did this weird thing with my notes. Uh, I, I had to print on... Uh, less paper than I thought I would have. So I've conveniently put my, my notes in all kinds of weird order today. So if you f- see me up here looking around like I'm lost, it's just because I am. Um, but here we go. Okay. Uh, in, in the definition of revival, l- let, me, let me ask you to also consider this because this is important for us. I want to encourage you to look for sparks of revival, And many of you are already seeing them around you, maybe in you and maybe in the people around you. So for example, any time that you see the church moving toward unity, I'm talking about the local expression of the church, I'm talking about the big C church and local expressions working together. When we start to gravitate toward a common focus or mission under the banner of Christ, that's actually a spark of revival. That's actually a work of God because, and you, I don't need to probably tell you this, we don't do that naturally very well on our own. We need divine help there. So unity among the church and its various congregations. Um, if you're part of this church, we are part of a denomination called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. The founder of the Christian and Missionary Alliance was A.B. Simpson, who it was a, a, a mobilizer for global missions. But when he started that work, he was pulling people together who were just like-minded missional people. But they were coming from all these different backgrounds. That was a revival spark. That was a revival spark that became actually a global phenomenon of God working and moving. So unity among the church is very important. Uh, repentance and humility. I uh, mentioned that about last week's message. Listen, this last week, I've been almost inundated with emails and reports from you talking about how the the door of repentance you're walking through some things and you're finding some sweet alignment uh with God's heart through that and that I'll tell you like that kind of story kind of spurs me on and so we're spurring each other on and we're seeing God do some incredible things but that's a spark of revival Like when one person says, you know, I'm getting on my face before God, when one couple or family says, you know, I'm really seeking the Lord with a greater level of fervor and repentance and humility, that's a win. So I'm going to touch on that just a little bit more, but let me keep going. Uh, Another spark of revival, uh, greater boldness and fervor in prayer. That's a spark of revival. I don't know if you've experienced that. When you've come to a place where you're like, you know what, I'm tired of kind of wimpy pray like less, no authority kind of praying because God has given me authority and so so all of a sudden something begins to rise up in you, not about you but about the confidence that you have in God. That is a revival spark. We saw that even this week because our elders, we gather weekly uh, to pray uh, for the church, for each other. We're praying for different needs and this week while we were praying... Uh, one of our elders kind of, I could just feel it in him. He was like, You know what? We, we, need to, we need to ask God for this. We need to go after this. And there was something like he was kind of turning up, God was turning up the heat. And you could even sense among our praying that there was a, a receiving of that. There was an increase in boldness and fervor. That is a spark of revival. I'm going to give you just one other one, and then we're going to get on to the next point. Um, uh, here's another spark of revival hunger in the next generation hunger in the next generation we are unapologetic about saying that if we if we if there's one thing we can't fail at we cannot fail in ministering to the next generation. And friends, let me just simply say this. If you're investing in kids or grandkids or great-grandkids or kids that are not your biological relatives but you're investing in them, if you are in that place and God gives you a glimpse in their life of a hunger, a deeper hunger for him, a deeper hunger or a passion, a sense of calling that's starting to stir, let me just encourage you, get on that. Lean into that don't miss out on that you know like when I'm talking to someone they're like well yeah their kids are thinking about this no no if your kids are thinking about that you gotta go after it with them you gotta lean into it that is an awesome gift and many of us because we pray for people that we know and that we love but that aren't walking with Jesus we know we can't take for granted when spiritual hunger is there spiritual hunger is a revival spark part of our job is to throw some fuel on that spark okay um Also, interestingly, revivals have almost always come through the younger generation. You know that, right? And when we study it, it's almost always the younger generation. So we don't want to fail in that that, uh, endeavor. Okay, Uh, that's the definition of revival, essentially just the bringing back to life. Uh, The pursuit of revival uh, looks like this. The pursuit of revival, I I would say this. Study reveals uh, throughout history you can learn that God has moved in certain seasons to revive the church and to awaken the world. And there's lots of things that have been written on that and on that subject. I would encourage you to to search and understand the Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening. But let me give you a couple just interesting examples of when God shows up. So if you go back and you read in the 1500s, Martin Luther and the whole Reformation, and what was he doing? He was bringing to life something in the church that had been forgotten. So that the, I mean, this is a pretty big one, but like the person of Christ and the priesthood of Christ and the access that we have to him, which had largely been removed, Luther was saying, no, we need to get back to that. And all of a sudden, he's bringing something to life, but it was a restoration of Jesus to the church. If you look more recently, in 1900s, you get into the, some of the Great Awakenings. In the 1900s, you see the Welsh Revival, the Azusa Street Revival, and this was, in many ways, the restoration of the Holy Spirit to the church. The church had become dead and lethargic, and all of a sudden, to realize the Holy Spirit is still real and active and imparting gifts and doing things like that, so we see this restoration of the Holy Spirit to the church that had been lost. I read an article recently that talked about the Toronto Blessing in the Brownsville Church in Pensacola and made the comment that it seems that in those revival settings there was a restoration of the Father's heart to the church. So in one season it's a restoration of the Son, and in one season it's a restoration of the the Spirit, and in one season it's a restoration of the Father's heart. So we see this pursuit of revival. How do we actually go after it? This, this point is actually pretty simple. It's still prayer and repentance. It's still 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people are called by my name, humble themselves and pray, and actually do it, right? I mean, I wonder, I'm, I'm thinking about the coming year, and I'm kinda sensing the Holy Spirit in my heart, and I know Amy's sensing the Holy Spirit in her heart as we're talking through and leading through and leaning in and praying for you to say like, what if we actually took some big steps forward in this area of prayer, to really base what we do, not on praying when we're all done making our plans, but to really lean in to what God has for us in prayer. So it's, it's prayer, it's repentance, it's humility. Last week's message, when I was talking about being a repentance ready people, Amy actually said to me after the service, she said, do you ever think about preaching a, ser- a sermon uh, two weeks in a row or multiple weeks in a row? Just same sermon, just do it again. Look, make my preparation a lot easier. Um, and I said, yeah, sure, I've thought of that. I've never done it, but I've thought of it. And she goes, well, if there was one that you would maybe do it, I, I wonder if we could not get enough of repentance ready. The fact of the matter is you can't get to repentance ready. Stay humble. Keep listening. Keep responding. Jesus loves the lukewarm church so much that he's knocking on the door, and he's waiting to, for us to let him in. So stay, stay humble. Psalm 85 we started with today. Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? So let me give one one last thing. So if you're praying in that direction, you're thinking, maybe even today, you say, I'm trying to get my heart in that right place. I want to pray. Why would I have assurance that I could pray for revival? Here's here's the last point, assurance of revival. Uh, Four reasons you can pray for revival with absolute certainty that it's coming. I'll do it real fast. Number one, God promises it. I love this, Luke chapter eleven, thirteen. 13. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's like, is so direct. I get it, I see it. I want to take good care of my kids and if I as a father who is very fallible and has fallen short many, many times want to take care of my kids, how much more does the heavenly father want to give the Holy Spirit? The presence of the Holy Spirit, the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit in the church, that is revival, and that will revive us. So God promises revival. Number two, God's nature reinforces revival. It's interesting, Job 19 says, for I know my redeemer lives. If you don't know that your redeemer lives, why would you ever think he could make you alive again? And yet Job says, I know my redeemer lives. His nature is to breathe life. God's name declares revival. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection of the life. He's talking to the Samaritan woman. Uh, whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet he shall live. He put his name uh, and attached it to this idea of revival and breathing new life. And the nature of the church, it requires revival. This is why we got to keep on praying for it, where Jesus says, I'm the true vine. My father's the vine dresser. He interestingly says, if your, if your branches aren't bearing fruit, I'm going to cut them off. But the ones that are bearing fruit, I'm going to prune them so they become more fruitful. He's all about imparting life and breathing, breathing life into the church. Uh, And then I'm just going to give you one last promise, and if this doesn't give you a little bit of an exclamation point, I'm not sure what would, but Jesus basically said this in John chapter 10. He says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. That's all he's going to do. You're going to go through all kinds of hardship in life. It's going through difficulty. The enemy is there. It's real. The battle is real. And then Jesus says this, and I have come that they would have life and life to the full. I mean, that's a good promise, right? I mean, if you're gonna take anything away from a message like this, that God likes to revive his church, that God's passion and plan for us is not that we would be lukewarm, but that he'd breathe life into us, and maybe that happens one heart at a time. What I started, that me- I started the message with that example about Matt because what happens if just one heart God gets a hold of? And the answer is we don't fully know you do not yet fully know what God wants to do through your revived heart. So I get kind of excited about that. I I get a little more revival ready. And I see the flaws and I see the places where I got a lot of work to do and I see the places where I missed the mark. And yet I hear the knocking of Christ at the door of my heart. So when we come to the communion table, next week we're gonna talk about awakening out there. Today we're talking about revival in here. I wonder if a simple prayer as you come to the communion table would be to simply say, God, would you revive my heart today? What does God want to do as you remember his sacrifice for you, the bread and the cup? So worship team's going to come up and lead us. Uh, So if you guys want to come on up here and do that, we're going to get ready uh, to go to communion table. We're just basically going to give you some space to take communion today. And again, to understand how we're doing that, we have four stations here on each corner of the room. And uh, we'll have some people that are there. And you can take the, take the two-stacked cup if you want to get the elements for yourself. If you want to do the intinction, which is the ripping of the bread and dipping, you can do that as well. Um, you don't need to move yet because you're going to have time. You guys are all like, you're anxious. You're ready to go. Revive my heart, Jesus. They're ready to go. I love it. Um, but we're gonna give you time as, we, uh, as the worship team uh, leads and they're gonna just sing the song over us and we'll allow our communion experience to be a part of our worship today, okay? So uh, communion helpers can go to the corners. Um, I'm gonna just pray over you and then we'll, uh, we'll give you this time to meet with the Lord. Jesus, thank you for reviving our hearts today. I just think you've got a lot more that you wanna do in us and I think about the, the hymn, You're prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. God, my heart gets prone to go all kinds of different directions. Prone to leave the Lord I love. But here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. I was thinking about this chorus this morning when I woke up, obviously thinking about this message, but hallelujah, thine the glory. That's what the old old, uh, hymn used to say. Hallelujah, revive us again. That's a good prayer. What can God do through one revived heart? And what does God want to do in your heart today? The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this is your time to meet with the Lord. That simple prayer, God, would you breathe life into my heart and my life today? And when you're ready, make your way to one of the communion stations, take the communion elements, allow the Lord to meet with you in a special way. God bless you today.